0: The When Dating Hurts podcast is supported by BlendJet. Big, bulky blenders are a real pain to use. But the BlendJet 2 blender makes blending a snap. I'm using mine several times a day. Convenience is the reason why. The BlendJet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It can fit into your cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. And BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. BlendJet lasts for 15 or more blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. Best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap, and you're good to go. With over 30 plus colors and patterns to choose from, there's a BlendJet 2 to complement any style. Blend anytime, anywhere, with the BlendJet 2 Portable Blender. Seriously, what are you waiting for? No other blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Head to BlendJet.com and use the promo code wendatingherts 12 for your 12% off your order and free 2-day shipping. That's BlendJet.
1: It took me years to understand what dating violence was. I was in high school, I, yeah, 14, 15. The emotional abuse was was there from day one. It took until I experienced physical abuse for me to realize that it was something wrong. It was sparked by a very toxic, harmful bout of jealousy. Then he, he, he punched me. And he landed right on my ear, and I remember my ear was ringing, and I was, like, so shocked. Almost like a movie where the sound fades out, my ear is ringing, and you did what? His face was so composed, as if you deserve this because you talked to him.
0: I'm Bill Mitchell, and this is When Dating Hurts, a podcast dedicated to my daughter, Kristen, and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and actual survivors themselves. Today, we're speaking with my friend, Jasmine Uribe. In 2010, she joined Break the Cycle, a nationally recognized nonprofit working to end relationship violence with youth, ages 12 to 24. Jasmine is a program innovator and pioneer in advancing national dating violence prevention efforts. In her current role as CEO and founder of Leaders Ending Violence, Jasmine offers a robust set of skills to diverse audiences at a senior consultant level. She's a trained facilitator delivering workshops to both youth and adults related to increasing education, awareness, and support on matters relating to dating and domestic violence, sexual assault, stalking, and cyber stalking. Her mission is to develop programs and opportunities that inspire change, break down barriers where they exist, and build authentic relationships along the way. Welcome to the When Dating Hurts podcast, Jasmine.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: You're very welcome. Jasmine, of all the fields to pick, why did you go into domestic violence for your career?
1: I'm not sure if I honestly picked it or if it found me. Um, The work with domestic violence and dating violence prevention is something that for far too long, I grew up being familiar with what abuse was, um, but not how it would affect me in my relationship. I am a survivor of dating violence or a person who experienced abuse, depending on which label I I wanna give myself. Uh, But it honestly, found me in the sense that I always knew I wanted to work in communities and with youth. Mm -hmm. I thought I wanted to be a traditional teacher. Um, I am still an educator in many ways, but the notch that I have is that I'm working specifically on um, social justice and social change matters. So it found me as much as I found it. Um, But once I knew that my passion was really it really lied with uh, creating impactful change. I knew that I needed to address some of the topics that weren't usually talked in the classroom, hence why I focus on dating violence prevention.
0: Now, you said that, that you had your own problems with this, you know, I mean, in your own life growing up. So what was your first personal experience with domestic violence?
1: i think i knew of family members who were fighting or arguing and you always hear of oh that's just uh, family problems i can't can't think of anyone when i was young that i actually had names for i just remember sensing a lot of drama seeing a lot of issues and being a young child no one was talking to me about it. As I got older, I realized that some of my family members that I loved were not in the healthiest of relationships. I started seeing that myth of the fairy tale marriage um, be broken down. So I think my first experience was just realizing, one, that relationships weren't perfect. And I also um, grew up in a community where I saw a lot of violence in homes with friends and family members, um, I saw, I witnessed a lot of child abuse—not myself um, in my own family, but seeing, hearing my my, fa- my friends um, kind of recount, you know, I my my dad does this or my mom does that, and thinking how terrible it was. So I feel like violence has always been part of my fabric. I just couldn't name it until I got older, and then I said, oh, this family member and that couple and that friend. Uh, But it took me years to understand what dating violence was. I always knew, you know, domestic violence was something that happened in a home or child abuse was something that happened when parents were harming. But I did not have the definition for when it was someone that you liked who was your peer doing it to you.
0: So would you say that your first instance of coming face to face with dating violence was when it happened to you or when it happened to a friend?
1: I would definitely say it's when it happened to me.
0: Okay, um, and you were what? In, in high school at that point? In I time was or? in high school.
1: Okay. I yeah, 14, 15.
0: Wow. Okay, very young. Typically, no relationship starts out with abuse and violence. So this must have been okay for a while, right? I mean, this relationship, right? And
1: and, and if we're being something
0: hon- that was working for you, and you thought this is great, right?
1: Right, and if we're being honest, it wasn't my first relationship. But what I try to tell some of the adults that I'm working with is just give some, make those relationships valid because those emotions are, we feel them strong at 14, 15. So it wasn't my first relationship. We're thinking about relationships from middle school to high school. You know, maybe they lasted a week, two days, a year, three months. But what they all, the definition for relationships were different. But at 14, 15, this was probably... Uh one of the more serious long term relationships that I had. Right. And sure. I've done a lot of thinking around well when did it go south? Yes, right? of course. When when was that turning mm-hmm. point? It's hard because I do think there were good times, but if I'm being critical on and, and using what I know now, Mm-hmm. There weren't really, it wasn't really good from the start because there was jealousy and controlling behaviors that happened on day one or three that I just con- didn't, I wasn't aware that these were controlling behaviors. I just assumed that that's what happens when you get in a relationship. So it, I struggle personally and professionally with this idea of good times because I think relatively it's great because there's maybe wasn't physical abuse in the beginning for sure but that controlling behavior and the emotional abuse was was there from day one I just didn't recognize it so i guess it wasn't as extreme or violent in the beginning and that probably went on for a couple months um and i if i'm counting if i can remember that was a lot of years ago um it probably went on to be like an okay relationship, but there wasn't any obvious signs of abuse for like four to five months before mm-hmm. I recognized it.
0: it was interesting that you should say that. I had a conversation just last week with a, uh, with a with a detective. I've just kind of met him over the last month through some friends, and I live in Maryland. He lives in Michigan. He kind of talks about those good days as a lot of it, especially if you're dealing with what's going to turn out to be when you wake up to an abusive relationship. So the person I'm talking about is an abuser. They have maybe haven't shown their true self yet, but he refers to the good times as coercive behavior. Hmm. So that thing where you're like, wow, he holds my hand and he takes me to nice places. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if this was a if this was a healthy relationship, that's wonderful. But it's not. You don't know it yet, but it's not. It's, so it's the coercion to get you closer and kind of own you. And then what comes later is if coercive, I love you and all this stuff doesn't work, then they switch over to basically punishing behavior at that point. Right. You know, the, right. the actual abuse, whether it's yelling at you or, or taking a swing at you or throwing something at you or really something, you know, really, really bad.
1: For being honest, there were always dynamics of power and control. Like you said, you know, was it starting that slow coercive behavior or that really harmful threatening, manipulative behavior. So I I agree with that um, 100%.
0: So when you started to see something that caught your eye that that you knew now, "This this isn't the nicest guy. This is what was happening at that time. What did you see first?
1: Unfortunately, it took until I experienced physical abuse for me to realize that it was something wrong. And I say unfortunately, because had I had the skills to recognize the emotional abuse and the verbal abuse, then I could have said from the first month <laughs> there was verbal abuse, right? Mm-hmm. But when I, when I, at 14, going to 15, realized it, it was sparked by a very toxic, harmful bout of jealousy. We went to go see a movie and I had been talking to a group of friends. I've always had male friends and female friends, right? Not justifying that at all, but I just always had, it didn't didn't matter. Um, I've Mm -hmm. always been the girl that had guy best friends It just was, it it was what it was. Uh, And he started taking issue with how much I would talk to them, in particular, my guy friends started you know, getting upset because I was spending time or how naive I was because I didn't recognize that those guys were just trying to get at me and he was trying to protect me, right? My knight in shining armor, yeah. uh, very toxic armor that he wore. But we went to the movie theater and um, we were all sitting together in a row, ended up arguing. And that's why I'm saying like the verb, there was always arguments early on. But I just thought that that's what couples did. You have issues. You Mm -hmm. talked about it.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: I don't know what the argument was about. It definitely was you're sitting next to that guy. I already told you not to sit next to him. You should have sat on my other side. Then he he punched me and he landed right on my ear. And I remember my ear was ringing Mm. and I was like so shocked and it was almost like a movie where the sound fades out and this is why I can still remember because I was like my ear is ringing and you did what and his face was so composed as if no you deserve this because you talked to him he wasn't shocked he wasn't surprised by what he did he did not immediately say sorry he stood there over me and then said what are you going to do about it Oh my! and I was like whoa what do you mean this happened to me and now i have to decide what am I going to do? And then he continued with, you're not going to do anything. you I know you're not going to do anything. So then it was more of the gaslighting and the manipulative behavior. And at this point, I still remember, I still get chills, the ringing in my ear. And all I kept saying was I can't hear. I can't hear. But I think back now I was probably having a panic attack or in utter shock, shock yes. of what just happened. Um, I did not witness physical abuse with my parents, although, you know, my parents were divorced by the time I was, they were getting a divorce at that same time, uh, 15, 16, right? I did not witness physical abuse. I only saw that on TV. So experiencing it firsthand was a shock. The worst part of all of that was a, a woman passed by, mm. saw what happened, and she stopped and i looked like she's going to help me she's going to help me and he whispered she's not gonna do she's not gonna do anything and the lady looked at him and she must have been intimidated and she kept walking Mm. and that for me not only did i feel the physical abuse but i felt so alone yes so helpless that's
0: terrifying so
1: that was when i noticed it now did I leave immediately after that? that? Was no.
0: Obviously, my next question. Sure. <laughs> you you uh, figured Jumped out a right way in. to, to <laughs> no you I mean you you figured out a way I'm sure in your mind to um, want to get back to the good parts and you, you felt like you still kind of liked them and you're going to see if you could get past this right.
1: And the hardest part was after that initial shock. Then came the apologetic. This is what you make me do don't you realize that my family is violent? This is how we solve problems when people don't listen. Then I started learning that he came from an abusive family Mm -hmm. um, and he was experiencing physical abuse. Obviously, I'm not saying names and I'm not trying to share whatever his story is, but that happens a lot in abusive relationships where unfortunately for me, it was, I'm going to save him. He's doing this because Uh, he's hurt. That's
0: familiar, yes.
1: Um, So he's hurt, so I can help him. If I just don't do this or that, he's fine. So started then spending most of my time figuring out how to walk on eggshells and avoid the ticking time bombs Mm. and changing my own behavior so he wouldn't be set off. Um, So I think that consumed a couple months and then things got more physically violent. There's physical abuse, verbal, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. Heck, if we had the technology that teens have now there would have been cyber and technology abuse and i didn't have a cell phone in high school i had one later but you can check out all the types of abuse and and i experienced it but still what i think kept me in was this is not his fault this is my fault or in some way there's other things and things did tend to be happy sometimes and It does hurt if I'm being honest Um, and I always look at things from a professional and personal lens and speaking a hundred percent just from the personal lens, it makes me feel some kind of way that I say that there were happy times Mm -hmm. because I was like, that was not happiness. Like Jasmine, 15 year old Jasmine, that was not happiness. That was not love. So it, I have to really swallow those words of like, yeah, there were good times, but it was relative to, to, you know, all, all the bad times, but yeah. So I didn't leave right away. It's probably about a almost close to a year from the first time that I experienced physical abuse before I finally ended it.
0: You know, it's interesting that you, you came in with the part about how you, for a period of time, kind of internalized it, looked at yourself as like, what am I doing that's making this happen? And I actually had that on my list of things to ask you about. And I thought, it doesn't sound like it's going to go there. So I'm not even going to bring that up. And you went there anyway, and I think that happens quite often. I think that you're being told that by the other person. You know, like you, you feel like you you have to be the fixer-upper. You know, you have to help this poor soul. In the meantime, mm-hmm. he's making your life kind of a living hell in some ways. You know, every day and mm-hmm. it's all this drama and emotional injuries and and physical injuries in this case. But in the meantime, if he isn't doing a big enough job on on you. You're doing a big job on yourself too. So, so everybody's, Mm -hmm. everybody's attacking you. You got to that place where I guess we could say you bottomed out with this relationship. You just figured out, I couldn't do this anymore. What was the, uh, you know, what was going on at the time where you finally said, okay, you know, I'm done.
1: I wish I knew exactly what I was feeling and what this, what switch turned on so I can present about that to everyone. Like this is when, you know, Um, magic formula. So I had become really isolated From all the friends that I told you that I normally would talk to, my guy friends, my girlfriends. And I think slowly I started talking to people more and just breaking the rule that I can't talk to people.
0: Because he made it known to you, you can't talk, right? Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, he needed that isolation to fully control me. Yeah, he needed that isolation to manipulate. So I started just enjoying other people's company more. I would only do it in secret in class when he wasn't there so I wish I knew exactly when the switch turned on that this was not okay. I started talking to friends more. I started spending time secretly because I didn't want him to know where I would text friends that I that I had been separated from or during class school projects like try to uh, pair up with with friends that I pair, you know had before. So I just started to gain some independence back and I was just exhausted. I was tired. I started seeing the smoke and mirrors were just like there. And I was like, this is not, what am I doing? So I just started gaining my independence. I think I started not knowing that I started separating myself from him. There were some ridiculously violent things that were happening at our high school where teachers were starting to recognize things and he was, would get really loud or scream. And the hardest part was... um Some of the people that were there to keep the students safe uh, had personal interest in him um, not getting in trouble because he was involved in a sports team. Mm. Um, And they also were coaches for that. So I wasn't getting support there, but there was one teacher who before her class period, he would follow me and like walk me until the bell rang, which meant he was late to class almost every day, right? But he wanted to make sure I wasn't talking to anybody. So the bell would ring and then I would go into class. Well, this teacher started asking me to help her like before the class Mm. and saying, oh, Jasmine, I need you to come here and do this. I'd be like, oh, I gotta go. So it started giving me distance. When I started getting independence and distance, I realized that this is not what I wanted, but I I was at that point still not telling people what was happening. I feel like this teacher recognized that something was going on, but she and I didn't have a conversation. There was another counselor that would just constantly ask if I was doing okay but never actually gave me the the resource. Um, There was multiple breakups. I lost count, probably over 10 breakups because I would break up and he would come back and cry and say he was sorry and make it very difficult or cause a scene at school. And I'd be like, fine, I'm just going to get back with you. Um, But there was three incidents that I remember where it was like the final three breakups. The first was I got in trouble at school because he tried to put hands on me and I punched him back. Mm. I got in trouble for that which meant my mom had to pick me up from school and I had to explain to my mom who had no idea that I was experiencing this relationship why I would punch this boyfriend of mine like what would come over me and to this day we we have had multiple conversations like what is it she was also blinded by like typical teenage mood swings and not wanting to talk to her so it was very hard But she did take me to the courthouse and say, well, if he's harming you in any way, we can get a protection order Mm -hmm. and trying to give me all this. But I wasn't there yet. I was not ready. I was just like, "Okay, yeah, he just made me mad. So I punched him. So took the blame for that. The other incident is when he was threatening suicide at our school and said if I didn't get if I wasn't going to be back with him, then he was going to kill himself and hurt himself. And he uh, took several steps to stand on our bridge at our high school to show me that he was going to jump off. And I remember looking and saying, if you're going to do it, go do it. And I walked away, Um, which is probably not nice. But at that time, I was just so tired. Right. But I did go down to find his friends and I said, hey, I think your friend's going to go do something really dumb. So you might want to go help him. Mm. Everybody rushed to take care of him. Meanwhile, I walk with like everybody running to help him feeling really isolated And the last time was when he actually showed up at my house, like at one in the morning after the breakup, knocking at the door. My mom goes like, what's going on? Still, my mom doesn't know Mm. all the details. And no, no, if she listens to this, she hears more and more every time I talk about it. Um, But we haven't had the like, let me tell you everything, because I really don't know if I want to go there but she lets this ex-boyfriend of mine in because he's distraught. Something's wrong with him. It's the middle of the night. He's crying. And he runs straight into my bedroom yeah. down the hallway. My mom's like, what is going on? Crying and crying and telling my mom how much he loves me and how I need to take him back. And I, my, the look my mom gave me was like, this is not okay. Yeah. And I looked at my mom like, I'm done. Like, I'm not doing this anymore. And she told him, in very colorful mom words you need to get out of my house what the hell do you think you're doing and he got in his car and the tires screeched and it was such a big scene that i feel like my mom and i we looked at each other like no you're not going back and i'm like i'm not going back we never said anything but she gave me the look like this is not just you having an argument like this is not okay and that was really the last time he also was graduating you know, before me. So
0: thank goodness.
1: There was some distance. But yeah, there was just those three really showy, violent times that unfortunately kept happening. And I think it wasn't until more people started recognizing what it was that I started feeling like maybe there would be someone that can help me. You know, I started seeing that people actually could help. And I had to believe that people could help me in order for me to feel safe enough to leave.
0: Wow, that's just... That is a lot. That's a book. I mean, that really is just, oh my God, you know? I mean, I'm just so glad I'm you came about it. in a good place. Yes.
1: I think back to to everything. And sometimes when I share this, I'm like, this didn't really happen. Like this, there's no way. And I was like, no, this is real life. This really happened. And I made a decision a long time ago to, to make it matter. And it had to be more than just something I experienced. And that's why I will say like, Person who experienced abuse because I'm a person first. I'm not a victim, I'm a you know, survivor, I use those terms, but that doesn't define me. I define what I want to do with that. The turning point, I think, for many of us who are experiencing abuse is you have to believe that you are worth it to get out of the relationship. You have to believe that you are worthy of happiness, that this is not happiness, and you have to know that there's people there to help you. And that's a scary part because being so isolated. And having so much fear and being told that no one's going to help you. And time, time and time again, having it proven that no one's going to intervene. Uh, the day that I believe for myself that I was worth much more than what he was doing is when I decided to leave. So maybe that is the secret ingredient. I don't know how to give it to everyone, mm-hmm. but there is a turning point there.
0: It, it's just breathtaking. I don't know how else to put it. Do you think from your experiences and working with Break the Cycle for a good long time do you think that people who, who go and manipulate and do these kind of power and control techniques and bring the abuse do you think they actually know that they are doing this when they're doing this i mean are they conscious of their behavior throughout do you think or is it just them you know is this is just the way mm-hmm. i roll so to speak or is it mm-hmm. do you think they're um they kind of the puppeteer and they kind of figure we'll do this for a while and then we'll switch to this. And how much do you think this is actually, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is do you think in some ways they're, although they do things that aren't very nice, do you think way down deep inside they are, they are innocent people?
1: Knowing what I know now, and I would have answered this question a different way, having been right in the in the abusive relationship, right? Knowing what I know now, there are some risk and protective factors that exist to why people may experience or perpetrate violence. Mm -hmm. I think environment is a big key player. I mean, our environment really dictates all of us, our personalities, our quirks, our traits. So at some point, I feel that individuals need to be held accountable for doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. But I can understand that there's external factors that influence these poor choices. But at the end of the day, this violence is a choice. They are choosing to harm and hurt. And if they're not able to recognize that they're making these poor choices, that's when I hope that there's support even for perpetrators of violence. Because how are we truly gonna end violence if we're only focusing on victims that need the support? Yes,
0: that's usually so, where all the focus goes, you're right.
1: Yeah, going back to like my child development studies, right? Mm-hmm all people are good all children are good there's behavior there's there's environmental and maybe sometimes you know emotional or mental you know matters that are happening and the way people are wired that may make them make poor choices but to say people are all good or all bad I feel like that's a big complex question Mm -hmm. What I will say is for a long time I believe that everyone had good in them but In order for me to truly believe that, I have to believe that everyone is capable of holding themselves accountable and holding themselves responsible for what they're doing. And I think there are some people in this world who just won't do that. So then it's hard for me to say like, well, can you truly be good if you're not willing to recognize the demons that you have and what you need to work on? So I think in order for people to be truly good and all good, they need to be able to hold themselves accountable and hold people accountable to what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So, And that, for whatever reason, I mean if we think about mental health and, and all of that, there's some people that are just going to be wired to not ever accept the behavior. So I answered that the best I could. I don't know if I completely just wrapped around it. It's a heavy question. Yeah, I,
0: I think you hit it head on. The When Dating Hurts podcast is sponsored by Nom Nom. I'm a big advocate for better food for pets. When they eat healthier, they live healthier. And Nom Nom's food for dogs is full of fresh proteins a dog loves and the vitamins and nutrients they need to thrive. Nom Nom meals are pre-portioned for your dog's exact caloric needs, so it's the easiest way to take the guesswork out of feeding your dog the best. Just tell them about your pup, age, breed, weight, allergies, and protein preferences. Get fresh, pre-packaged, totally nutritious meals delivered directly to your door, for even less. Order Nom Nom today. Go to trynom.com slash when dating hurts and get 50% off your first order, plus free shipping. And Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. That means if your dog doesn't love each meal, Nom Nom will refund your first order. Nom Nom is real good food for your dog head to trynom.com slash when dating hurts. You know, most of what I see, most of the conversations I've had about it would lead us to believe that this is learned behavior for one thing. Mm -hmm. Now there are people who are psychopathic and sociopathic and, you know, you can argue about how much of that is just in the mind and how much of that is learned. But, most of what I run into on this particular in this particular area is that that domestic violence dating violence is something that is learned. It's something that they've picked up on and seen other people use to get whatever they want. maybe it's been used on mm-hmm. themselves the cycle of the abuser of course mm-hmm. but yeah I mean that's that is a that is a big open area there to to uh, focus on the perpetrators on the abusers and and mm-hmm. I know I fall on the other side of that. I'm usually trying to get people out of the way of the landslide. And uh, unfortunately, what happens with that is that you might talk somebody out of a relationship. Like in your case, let's say, you got out of that relationship, but chances are he then just started working on somebody else. And it would be hard to believe that the relationships after you were all just wonderful. You know, they just stayed in that wonderful, romantic, generous uh you know, just just worked mm-hmm. out just fine. I, I'm sure if you track down other people that that this person had a relationship with, you'd probably find similar things, if not worse. And I've talked with a lot yeah. of survivors who've said that they've, one way or another, whether they were married people or dating, that they had they somehow caught up with whoever wound up with this this person, and it was more of the same. I, I don't think I've ever yeah. heard it told differently.
1: Unfortunately, I think you're right. Um, you know, I wish that I wish that guess what I'm trying to say is it happens a lot. It's all too common. And I hate that mm-hmm. um, I just it just. But then if it's patterns of abuse and in these these behaviors that either they've you know, and I agree they, they learned or they've just gotten away and they've never been held accountable. Right. They're going to continue until someone decides and mostly for them, then they themselves need to decide I'm not doing this anymore. Right, And it's just not a decision like, you know what? See, I'm just not going to abuse my next partner and we're good. No, all of that hurt and harm that you cause, you need to do some deep work in whatever practice of study you want to do that, whether that's therapy, whether that's religion, whatever. But it's not just one day to the next, you decide not to be violent anymore this is lifelong behavior change. So I can empathize with people who are really working hard to to change themselves. And I can see and give people the space they need to grow. But I just hope that they know it's not something that they can do from one day to the next because they, they're going to change because the sun, you know, rose this morning and they had this fresh peppy attitude. Like, no. Um, so it's yeah, learn behavior that you have to work to unlearn. And and I will say, because I believe in having hope, it, it can be possible with the right steps. And that is not something that can be forced on them by anyone until they they decide. So the steps there is they have to recognize that they hurt someone. They have to realize the impact of what they've done. And they have to do the work and only them alone. And still there's certain things and... You know, I'm thinking about, you know, Kristen. Like, there's certain behaviors that I feel like, do you ever really come back to being a good person? Like, I, I, I don't know if any amount of work, but at the end of the day, for people who, let's look at teens, right, who maybe. People want to chalk it up to misguided teens who don't have any resources. Like neither one of them knew what a healthy relationship was. Okay, let's put it out there. Give them healthy relationship skills. But at the end of the day, if they have all the resources, but they're not choosing to be different, they're not going to be different.
0: My daughter was murdered in 2005 by her ex-boyfriend. And no, time doesn't heal all wounds. Since those dark days, I have given over 100 speeches and interviews To be able to dispense such life-saving information, I needed to do a lot of research. Now it's all in one place. My daughter's story and our family's journey is now available in a book entitled When Dating Hurts, available only on Amazon in paperback and ebook. If you have a child, a family member, or a friend between 16 and 24 years of age, I suggest you give When Dating Hurts a read the information in this book has already saved lives. And you know, I hear the same things about abusers as I do about abused people, and that is until you hit that place where you say, I can't do this anymore, even as the abuser, they have to hit that place, they have to bottom out, and they have to say, I can't do this to people, I need to get help, I need to understand what my motivations are and my techniques, and I have to learn other skills, you know, I have to... I have to be able to talk myself out of getting angry or whatever is triggering me. I might have to just leave the room. I might have to have different techniques of count to 10 or count to a thousand or whatever it is, you know, just otherwise, yeah, it just, it just keeps rolling. It just keeps coming. I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, your time with Break the Cycle. Um, mm-hmm. So thinking back because you put in, was it 10 years there maybe? around that time?
1: Yep. It would be, it would have been 11 years this year. So, yeah, okay. 10, 10 so years.
0: You're there a long time. So, so, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about how you saw that mission because, you know, they were, I mean, they, my, my research back when I first met you was, I feel like Break the Cycle started maybe 1996.
1: Yeah, there was something unique with Break the Cycle's mission that really made me want to to work for Break the Cycle and that was that since 1996 the focus of Break the Cycle was always on youth so they were looking at domestic violence with that youth need lens and that was way before the first ever national teen dating violence awareness month which was 2010 so if you think all this time that they were really doing the work um, they were and their focus was always on dating violence, they were noticing that the young women that they were talking to, the first stories about the abuse were happening at 12, 13, 14. Break the Cycle came too because they were listening to the voices of the clients that they were serving, who were mostly in their 20s, recount abusive incidences from their teen years in relationships. So Mm -hmm. at that time in the 90s, I mean, if we think about the domestic violence movement, that really started in the 80s. So yes. from the '80s, you know, then it became like okay, abuse and, you know, mostly uh, marriage, mostly husband and wives break the cycle. Really started focusing on the teen component and the young adults. So their target age demographic from the very beginning was 12 to 24. Until this day is the age demographic that I think is where you can have the most impact is that adolescent period. And unfortunately, the age demographic that that experiences the most intimate partner or dating violence. You know, 16 and 24 is what they say about young women who are, are the, the age between when young women are most likely to experience abuse. So and we talked about all this abuse that I experienced, right? Mm-hmm. And I was 14. I did not know that it was dating violence until I was in college. And I was studying to be a teacher, some child development major, and I took a child abuse and neglect class. And then I see this term, intimate partner violence, and I'm like, what is this? (laughs) It took me to go to college to put a definition to what I experienced, what I was calling it. Something
0: you experienced four or five years earlier. What
1: I was calling it was he was a bad boyfriend. It was just a lot of drama. It was not a good relationship. He was really jealous and controlling. So I was using the words to describe the behavior and the impact that it had. But I did not know that I was a part of this studies of work and intimate partner violence. And people were actually claiming I was like, wait, 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 because I knew I could not have experienced. I thought I could not experience domestic violence. We're not married. We don't live together. Mm -hmm. So that makes perfect sense. What do you call this? And, you know, that was early 2000s when I experienced this. This was 2002 to 2004. So, and as you know, I mean, awareness wasn't, wasn't what it is no, now. No, so, yeah. No. So, with Break the Cycle, so then when I learned about what dating violence was, I actually did a research project and I found Break the Cycle as a resource. So I started looking as a college student into, "ooh, break the cycle, and I like this. And Oh, only if I had this when I was a teen. Only if I knew this when I was a young person. Um, I worked at a school district for a while, and I was talking to a friend about how I really like this organization, and one day I'm going to create my own nonprofit to work with teens and dating violence casually went on their website and you know when you talk about things that happen and fate and stuff you don't control I was on the website and saw that they were hire- hiring a program coordinator
0: that was fate
1: and I was about to graduate from, co- from college and I was like I'm going to apply I applied and about five months later they hired me
0: that's fabulous so that, that really was meant to be yeah and like it- you say uh and I it's interesting because I've talked with so many people that say that that these areas pick you You know, and, you know, this whole situation walked into your life and meant something to you. And then it kind of rang true at other times. And then before you know it, oh, my God, you know, I hear about this organization. And within six months, I'm there. That's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. And I was there for the first ever Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month, right? 2010 um, up to 2021. So in many ways, I grew as a person. With break the cycle and the work grew professionally yes. with me too it's a big testament to all the advocates and all the people who just were like you said at their wits end to say this is enough mm-hmm. we're done We're done not talking about this in schools. We are done not having school policies to keep our middle school, high school, and college students safe. You can relate to this. It takes a passionate community of parents and advocates, and we're just not going to allow abuse to happen anymore. And I'm happy to be a part of that movement, and I'm happy to have led so much emphasis around youth leadership and including youth at the table when we talk about youth policies, that if I walked away today from all of this work, it's not going to happen. I would have more of a smile mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on my face than the sadness that I experienced for being, you know, a victim for Do so you think
0: long. you would have ever picked this field had it not touched you personally or would just never would have occurred to you and you would have cruised through your 20s? And...
1: I have to be honest. I am a very passionate person. And if it matters to me because it affected me or my family, then that's where I vibe mm-hmm. towards. So, if I didn't experience it, I probably would not have gone down this career path
0: I think it really does pick you
1: yeah yeah it, it really does it really does um, to do this work and there's so many different hats that people wear when they work in violence prevention but my whole business my whole passion is one conversation at a time
0: It's a good way to put it very good
1: in order for me to truly talk about what matters I need to feel it so what I'm packaging and what I'm delivering is sharing and let's talk and let's have these conversations like Mm -hmm. getting rid of the shame and the embarrassment and the fear so there's conversations that I'll have you know 5, 10, 15 years from the last time I experienced abuse or and then it takes me back to experiencing it at that moment Mm -hmm. and then sometimes it can roll off and I'm fine but every conversation I have I know that it's going to impact someone even if i'm not actively doing a presentation I'm just walking around town i'll see people or relationships happen i'll see like the warning signs and oh, sometimes no. like just a nod or a smile and just uh. a, are you okay um so knowing that i have the power to safely intervene and affect other people's lives because of what i went through i'm just i personally am not going to be silent and i don't want anyone to feel like I did at 14, and no one's going to help. So I think it also just gave me the power of connection. So conversation and connection is was what I took away, and what story I'm going to make. So it's not about them, because it really is nothing to do about with that person that, you know, was harming me with that abusive ex boyfriend. None of this is about them. It's all about me and what I'm doing now.
0: Right, you're looking forward and, and you're taking what you have, you've learned these skills and Highly motivated and passionate, and yeah, I mean, you're doing great things. Tell us about Leaders Ending Violence, this organization that you've now founded. So, you know, give us a little sense of what this is uh, going to become and what it is already.
1: So Leaders Ending Violence, we're just hitting the three-month mark. When I started Leaders Ending Violence, I was really doing it because I was inspired by the youth that I have worked with over the years and their leadership, and the fact that for so long i had was advocating for youth leadership and youth voice at the table that i didn't want their space to go away with break the cycle ending its programs so i kept the let's be real youth project which is youth across the country that are using social media and different training tactics so that's one of my major project areas and i also wanted to offer training and consulting services to nonprofits or basically anyone who really wants to hear and dig deep into how to connect the programs to the people so you've heard me say live realities and authenticity mm-hmm. like I just really wanted to have a space where the leaders, the word leaders was really defined by whoever wants to show up. It's not just advocates. It could just be your local community members. So redefining what leadership means and creating a space for young people and nonprofits to be able to understand this work. So it's right now a training and consulting business, but I do have a dream of a place where youth can be compensated for their time in providing feedback on curricula or training resources. We need to honor their labor. So maybe it'll be a space for young people to lead in their own ways to end violence.
0: Now, if somebody wants to contact you, how do they do that?
1: Yes, so we have a website, uh, Um, leadersendingviolence.com. Good, easy enough. (laughs) <laughs> very easy, easy. to remember. <laughs> very easy not to tricky. remember. Very long, <laughs> but it's there. <laughs> We're also on Instagram um, at leaders and then underscore ending underscore violence. Just because I did not like how it looked all together <laughs> um, and mm-hmm. email. You can reach me at j Uribe at leaders ending dot com.
0: Well, you definitely are motivated. And I think it's a great concept. And I, you kind of redefine leaders by doing this, you know, because leaders don't have to be someone at the top of an organization or anything like that. I mean, anybody can, you know, one one person who's motivated can be a leader mm-hmm. in this. And and all it takes is one person having the right conversation with somebody at the right time. You know, you can, saving lives isn't just for doctors and EMT people. And, you know, any of, any of us can save a life if you are motivated and if you have the information and you deliver it, mm-hmm. you know, you just, you never know when that person's at a tipping point where mm-hmm. they can Safely break away from a relationship that could be heading to a very dangerous place, right? Right. For someone who might be listening in who's either in an abusive relationship or knows a friend or family member who's in one, what would you say that person should do right this minute?
1: So if you are in an abusive relationship and you're recognizing that there's warning signs or that your boundaries are being pushed, or maybe you're just sensing that something is off and you can't really put a term to it what I highly recommend is taking a step back processing what you're feeling those feelings are valid you're feeling them for a reason Um, there may be some internal red flags that are kind of being set off and do some research on your own if you're comfortable with that there's lots of resources you can go to I always like to refer to loveisrespect.org because they have a 24 7 uh, call text or chat service And you can ask general questions, even if it's, is it okay for my partner to be this jealous? Or is it okay for me to feel like my partner is controlling what I'm doing? Reach out to loveisrespect.org. Reach out to your local community shelter if you're comfortable. Or go with a friend to take a healthy relationship quiz online. So my number one thing is if you're recognizing these behaviors and you're feeling like something is just off, because I didn't have the terms to say, I'm being manipulated. Take a friend, find someone you trust, and do some research on your own online. Or go to a local shelter. There's lots of books that you can read. There's, you go to the library, there's a wealth of knowledge. Just find out, find the resource for what you're feeling. Now, if you're a friend or family member and someone you love is experiencing this, it's a little different. I think instead of going and grabbing them and saying, hey, you're experiencing abuse, I'm taking you out. Empower them to go through this journey where they're recognizing the signs. They may not be there yet. So check in, hey, I noticed, um, you know, so-and-so is here and, mm-hmm. and you were crying after that. Like, do you want to talk about it? Most likely you'll get a no, <laughs> but say, okay, well, you know, whenever I cry, I feel like I got to process it. So if you're ever, if you're ready for it, I'm here for you. Leave the door open. Very good advice. Um, Use media, use use technology, just have the conversation. So to sum it up, if you think something's off, talk about it with someone, with a trusted adult. And if you are that parent, do so in a way where you're not shaming, blaming, or causing judgment. And that's hard to do.
0: Very hard. Because
1: we want to take the reins and we want to save those people we care about. And I totally agree with that. But do so so you're not overpowering them like they've been overpowered in that abusive relationship. You're building them up so you can go together to get that help.
0: Yeah, that's fabulous advice. And, and uh, I'm, I'm glad I asked you the question. I'm glad you answered so well. But you're right. You want to have the conversation and it's, it's uh, kind of a learned thing to become a great listener. And a great listener knows how to get someone going, but then knows how to stop, you know, let them talk. And besides that, It has to be, I know from my own life, you know, it's very hard not to judge what you're hearing and jump in and pounce on that person. And if someone's in an abusive relationship, they have some of that going on with that person. And then all of a sudden, then you almost become another abuser in their minds, at least. You're not really. But but if you pounce on them and if you're judging them and you're shaking them up, a couple things will happen is that the main thing is they're not going to want to talk with you because you're pushing them too hard. Right. You know, you, you want it to be... That's one of the problems with when you're a friend or the parent of somebody that's going through this is that you want it over with and you want to just kind of like protect them and pull them out of that relationship. Doesn't work like that. Doesn't work like that at all. So
1: Yeah, and I think it's, there's some work that we need to do with, with peers too, right? I have, I have hopes for building programs for parents as well. Good. Um, but for peers, because I can think back to my friends who were giving some really bad advice, and I'm not blaming them, but I was told that guys that are super jealous mean they really like you. If they're not jealous, you should be worried that they don't really like you. Mm. what a myth, and what (laughs) uh, so so many things are wrong with that. I can picture
0: that happening very well, very, very well.
1: How often are these toxic behaviors romanticized in media? So I wanna make sure friends are also giving good advice. And friends know how to support friends because often young people and even adults go to their friends before they go to anyone else. So like me, if I went to a friend and my friend said, this is normal, I'm going through it, too. We're good. Mm -hmm. Okay, keeps me in the relationship because it's normal. Um, So I really want to do some work with peers and parents and Think about those first responders before the professionals come in, right? Who are those first responders that really need to be equipped with having empathy and not blaming and shaming and giving them tools to get help?
0: Yeah, fabulous. I, I, I wish you the best, but I don't think you need wishes. I just think you need to do what you're doing. And you, you kind of know all those areas that need attention. And it's just a matter of time as you work out your programs and, and create your network you feel like you've saved one person then you feel like you've kind of hit hit the jackpot and and you'll never know all the people you help and I, and I guarantee you your years with break the cycle you've helped hundreds and hundreds of people one way or another probably saved quite a few lives and i see more of that in your future so that's that's huge jasmine thank you for giving your time to us today i know you're busy and i know you're you're uh, launching your organization leaders ending Violence.com is the way to contact you and also see what you're doing. I've seen your website and it's uh, nice and fresh and it's very inviting. You know, saving lives never gets old and and never goes out of fashion. I'm so happy to know you. I've known you now for a couple of years and you've done wonderful things for me. I won't go into them here, but you've definitely helped me out. And I I, uh, look forward to keeping an eye on you as you go along and help more and more people and And launch more and more things and and create your network in bigger ways. So I just think it's, uh, I'm just so proud of you. And I I have so much respect for you. Thank you.
1: Likewise, it's mutual. I'm so glad that our paths connected on something that, you know, isn't a happy thing, but we're making the best of it. And we're going to keep changing lives. And I think you wrote, when we worked together in the book, um, you know, let's change lives together. And that's the commitment that I'm going to hold to the end. So thank you so much for having me. I do this also in the name of all the people that I know that aren't here anymore um, because things could be, could have gone so much worse. If I thought I was experiencing the worst of the worst, everyone has, you know, another thing that they're dealing with. So, yep, I do this in everybody's name that is not either able to speak up or um, has not realized it. So,
0: oh, yeah. That's a beautiful dedication. Thank you. Yeah. I, I'm glad you said that. That's really something to hang on to. Wow. Wow. Well, look, thank you very much, and I'll catch up with you later. Thank you.
1: Thank you.